Welcome back to Investing Experts. Great to have courage and conviction investing back on the show to talk small caps, the art of investing in small caps, his strategy and particular names, update on ADES, Advanced Emissions Solutions, which is the stock we focused on a couple months ago when we were talking to courage and conviction investing. Always enjoy having thoughtful analysts on the show. Today is a perfect example of why. Hope you enjoy it. Any articles discussed today, you can find links to them on our show notes. And all episodes have transcripts available on Seeking Alpha. And for those wanting to follow breaking news and general news coverage of the markets, come listen with us at Wall Street Breakfast. We have morning episodes released before 7 a.m. Eastern and afternoon episodes released around 12 noon Eastern. You've got Wall Street Breakfast and Wall Street Lunch for all your market news needs. Courage and conviction investing. Super great to have you back on the show. Thanks for coming on. Irina, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. I had a blast last time and uh, was was uh, more than happy to, 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 to get back on the phone and do it again. Yeah, likewise. It was a lot of fun talking to you and we got a lot of love about that episode. And I think a lot of um, interest around stocks that people may not have heard of or been paying enough attention to. So super happy to get another episode from you and two investors. So with that in mind, we're at the end of September. We both were just talking about the starts of years. There's the new the lunar calendar for those following along with the Jewish community. There's a school year for parents of children or caretakers of young kids um, or even older kids. They go to school, too, I think. Uh, so how are you thinking about this time of the year as an investor looking at the markets? Yeah, so... Unfortunately, the great Jimmy Buffett died, and so yeah. with him, uh, Endless Summer died. Um, <laughs> but living in Boston and New England, um, and today's a September 20th, uh, minutes before the Fed, and I would never try to pretend to guess the Fed. I, I have no idea what they're going to say, but uh, um, it's just a quintessential New England day, crisp air, humidity's gone, um, cool in the morning, sunny at night and uh it has me in a frame of mind of kind of back to school um and so as as part of that back to school cerebral taking a step back um i was going through some old podcasts and i i re-listened to uh stuart brand uh a ted talk and i'm gonna try to frame this i'll see if i can i'm gonna try to pull it off but i think i can uh stuart is a fascinating character who has he moved in the right circles was born in the right place had a, a great upbringing with the, some parents that let him explore and, and kind of be different but uh just really quickly just to give people background on who Stuart brand is um he was a military photographer he went to stanford um and then he was he was in San Francisco was hanging out with um, Ken Kesey, who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So he was uh, in this like psychedelic community, like start of the hippie was like at the forefront of the hippie movement. <laughs> uh, then he starts a campaign to uh, see a picture of the, the Earth for NASA. Um, and then he starts the uh, whole Earth catalog, which for four years 
was incredibly successful. Steve Job quoted him in the 2005 uh, Stanford commencement, how impactful and how forward thinking this guy was, um, you know, back in the day. He, 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 in his last uh, uh, publication of the, of, of the uh, magazine, it, he says, stay hungry, stay foolish. That famous line, that, that was Stuart Brand. Everyone's probably knows that. But then he goes on to uh, Silicon Valley. He was at the forefront of computers. He uh, was like the forefront of coding. He brought this. He knew the editor of Rolling Stone. He wrote a few articles in like the early 70s about this. Um, and then um, from there, uh, he he goes on to start eventually, not like immediately after, he goes on to start um, a foundation about like thinking farsightedly. I can't remember exactly the name of the foundation, but that given that back to school, that, that, that school of thought um, that's kind of where I am because when we last spoke, um, <laughs> it was it was Nirvana. Uh, I think it, I think I was up forty six percent in June. Knocked the cover off the ball in July. Was up sixty something plus, and then um, had a big drawdown in August. And September's been rocky. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's kind of the pinnacle, of the valley. It, it, we were at the pinnacle, and it's it's uh, definitely getting whacked. Um, but wanted to kind of pull that back because that's if you're a small cap investor this is par for the course you, you have to be willing to have conviction in your ideas be willing to weather and withstand the the drawdowns um and and kind of be committed to the art and the game and um you know i could i could obviously give you a long list of headwinds and how it's more difficult and with rising interest rates and higher charge-offs on credit cards and rising oil prices and negative sentiment. And I can make the same macro laundry list of variables, but because of all those headwinds and all those challenges that everyone's well aware of, you get these tremendous buying opportunities. If you know your names, if you talk to management, if you spread out your bets. And so I really view it as opportunity. Um, as opposed to get nervous or, or, or um, uh, overly concerned about these drawdowns because it's just that's just the nature of the beast. I host the Cannabis Investing Podcast, and to me, this sounds exactly like or very similar to the cannabis industry. And if you have conviction in the long-term picture, there is reason to still be invested, but I also understand all the headwinds coming at people, all, all, all the bad news, all the drawdowns and, and how that makes people nervous and, and give it gives investors concerns. So I guess one thing that I would ask you based on what you just mentioned is how do you know that you're in a small cap stock for the right reasons and the headwinds that are coming at you are just headwinds that may, you know, kind of dispel or, or dissipate as, as the weeks and months move on. And how do you know that the fundamentals may be changing? I mean, I know that this is very unique to particular stocks, but in general, if you could assuage investors' fears of when to um, stay dedicated and when to get off of the investment. Yeah, I mean, I think like we talked about last time, you have to know when you're wrong in this game. Um, 
I think that's what really separates the people that are very successful and can do this for a long period of time that have longevity. Um, and the way I run the portfolio is fairly concentrated. So my top five positions are usually five, 50 to 70%, which is pretty aggressive. 15% is usually my max, but uh, you, you just, you have to know the names and you can't be, you, if the thesis does change, you have to take a loss and you have to get out. And, and that's just part of the process. But um, the other thing is kind of scaling into the names. So um, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So there's, there's a company that, that we own, uh, Farmer Brothers. Um, and it's a wholesale coffee roasting company. It's been around a hundred years. The ticker's F-A-R-M. And they had two businesses. They had um, a routes business where they would deliver the product to restaurants, hotels, convenience stores. Um, and then they had a direct ship business and they built a state-of-the-art factory in North Lake, Texas. And they, they took on a lot of debt and they, they ran the business kind of poorly. Um, and so some activists came in, they, they acquired a 15% stake in the company and like, I want to say in the high fives or, or six, and then they became directors and they had a standstill agreement. So uh, uh, a couple months ago, they re reached an agreement with Treehouse Food to sell North Lake, Texas, as well as the money losing direct ship business. So the, the purchase price was $100 million, there was $8 million in legal fees and costs. So they netted 92 million. Now, some of that price was also some of the inventory. So it's a little hard to get it like a precise dollar figure. But um, just to frame this to you, how like irrational and inefficient markets are, uh, prior to this company doing this deal, the company was like two bucks. And so there's 20 million shares of sand. So it's a $40 million market cap. They had 105 million in net debt. They announced the deal. The stock shoots up from like two bucks to like three sixty, ten times the volume trades, and then the meme and the hot money kind of dissipate. The deal does close, but then like two weeks or last week, the, the stock drifts all the way back to one eighty two. So pre deal, you got a company forty million market cap, hundred five million in debt. Yeah, they did own the factory, but they literally had a gun to their head that if they didn't get this thing refired, they're going to go bankrupt. Got the deal done, closed the deal. And remarkably, the equity was valued at the same price when a company had like 15 million in net debt. And they don't, yeah, they don't have the factory, but the, the, the thing had a round trip from two bucks to 360 under two bucks. And so um, I aggressively was buying between 182 and 205. They came out, uh, the management, got let go or they agreed to to get let go um probably because the board pushed them out because they were making a lot of money they did make a lot of good changes finally but um the conference call was really good the forward outlook's really good and there are there are some really good tailwinds going on here so the, the stock comes it was like 280 yesterday so i didn't get involved till after this because I, I wasn't comfortable with the balance sheet but when i saw this deal and it was going to go through. I, I started buying it at three, bought more at two fifty, and then got really aggressive between in the low twos. And so, from the initial purchase price of three bucks to one eighty, that's a that's a that's a forty percent drawdown. 
but I had done enough work on the business and the valuation. And we had the comfort of the activists on a 15%. They want to protect their investment that the business was actually shaping up. And you also have a tail one because coffee bean prices are, are actually now kind of oversupplied. So that's a huge tailwind um, going forward. But there are a number of other tailwinds to the business. They brought in this AI algorithm that's going to, uh, it's already improved margins like uh, a couple hundred basis points. So the conference call was fantastic. I don't want to spend too, too much more time on it, but it's a perfect example of, okay, I bought a 5% position at, at three bucks and it goes down 40% in your face. But if you've done enough work in the business and the valuation and, and are following closely, you, you have enough conviction to, to continue to add because you're buying at a much better, it gives the market gives you an opportunity to, to acquire more shares at a better price. And lo and behold, the sky's not falling and the thing bounces from 180 to, to, to 280. Now they're gonna have to string together a couple of good quarters here. Um, to make the street really believe it. But the one of the, the directors of the activists actually bought some shares on the 15th, which is a good sign because he hadn't been in the market for a long time. Uh, but that that's like a good example that you have to be able to will to to have something go down 40% in your face and not be afraid that if, if you've done your work that you think you're buying a good valuation to to aggressively add more. So I I went from five percent, I took it up to my max 15, 16%. Um, and so that's kind of one example, but clearly there are times that you're wrong. If, if the thesis changes, you, you, you have to take your medicine and get out. Oftentimes, uh, the sooner the better. And speaking of which, there was uh, a company that we got into last time, Advanced Emission Solutions. Um, and you've had an update since. There was also some management changes, a CEO and a COO change. Curious how you're thinking about ADES now, uh, you know, in light of those developments. So I've never been longer. I, I, <laughs> when we owned it, I owned a lot and I've just continued to add. <laughs> so I went from long to longer. I spoke with Bob Rasmus last week, um, the CEO, for about 45 minutes. Um, they're presenting on the 28th at Gabelli in New York City. I think it'll be on Zoom or maybe there'll be a replay. But I just, I take a step back and just talking about missing the forest for the trees. Like this PFAS situation's real, right? Like these are huge tectonic shifts that happen in markets because policy at the, at the EPA gets uh, set, like set every 10 years. Like it doesn't just happen. And so given the big settlement with 3M and all the litigation that that it's proven that the stuff is cancerous. It's a it's a major problem for society. Um, the fact that perhaps by year end this is going to get and this is going to become law, and ADES is one of the best and direct most direct ways to play this theme, and the market caps like sixty seventy million dollars. Um, nothing's changed in the thesis. And I, I had a really good conversation with Bob. Uh, he's really excited about it. And just to frame this, so Bob starts, he put up $1.8 million of his own money, uh, slightly above market to buy the stock. And he's taking a $50,000 salary with like a $50,000 cash bonus. And his options are struck at three. And then he has uh, restricted stock units that are much higher uh, strike, strike price. So clearly he's excited. And this guy's a really wealthy guy. 
Uh, I think he's donated a lot of money to Notre Dame. And he sure as heck doesn't need the money. I can tell you that. So he, without getting into too many details, he just said, listen, I, I got recruited, really wasn't interested. I, he said he was happy playing uh, golf and hunting and fishing and had all these friends. And But when I, I got was asked and I, I ended up doing a lot of homework and I did my own independent work and I got really, really excited about it. And it was enough for him to get off the sidelines and kind of get back into the game. And so I, I had a good conversation with him, just his attitude, how he thinks about business, how he thinks about the company, how he thinks about how undersupplied green or activated carbon is. And he's got a lot of good ideas and uh, hopefully he'll, they'll provide an update in November after the Q3 numbers, just in terms of the roadmap framework, where they are, what they're trying to do, the balance sheet. He's well aware of the balance sheet. He has a lot of different ideas there. Um, so I, I feel great about it. It's my biggest position by far. And um, uh, I just, I think if you take a step back and maybe this isn't the imagination or maybe it's wild-eyed optimism, let's just say this thing gets enacted at the end of December by the EPA into law and say it's even 10 parts PPT, uh, parts per trillion. Um, this is going to be on Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Bloomberg, uh, seeking Alpha, it's going to be on every newscast, Fox News, CNN, what have you. 99% of the world's never even heard of PFAS. And it's there's going to be a lag effect in terms of how quickly people connect the dots as to how can I directly play this massive theme. And ADES is one of the only publicly traded companies where you could directly participate if they successfully uh, make the upgrades to uh, the, the Red Corbin, Kentucky, and Red River, Louisiana plants, where they, they hope they get to 60 million pounds of uh, greener activated carbon production. This is like one of the few ways that you could directly play it. And so the kind of the saying, like nothing happens for like years and then everything happens in a week. I think that's what's going to, what could happen. I say, I, no one knows the future, but um there's just a lot of ways to win here. The valuation is really low. I'm excited about Bob. I'm excited about the new management team. Um, and so I've bet accordingly and uh, it's only money. So we'll find out. <laughs> How would you contextualize the management change just uh, uh, um, as evidence of kind of transitioning and growing as a company? So I've had conversations with Greg. Greg was a nice guy. Um, his background's more CFO. So he's a CPA, knew the numbers really well. Um, you know, nice guy. I had some good calls with Greg, uh, but I think I'm speculating here. The board wanted someone that's run big, multifaceted companies. If you look at the COO announcement, uh, who has probably bought out one of his key lieutenants. Um, you know, this guy ran multiple mines, really complex operational background. And I, I think the board needed that comfort that um, these people would find a way to get this thing into production, to make the CapEx investments on time, on budget, ahead of, hopefully ahead of time and under budget, um, because you need to get to GAC, uh, greater activated carbon production to, to really capitalize on the big opportunity here because the, the powder activated carbon is more for there are it's mostly it's 
largely for coal-fired emissions. So it, it takes out some of the really toxic chemicals in the in the um, they kind of spray it on the coal and you burn it. It does remove a lot of the toxins, but coal electron is gone way down and it's kind of in secular decline so the powder activated business is is fine there's some value there but it's really the granular activated carbon business that everyone's excited about because of the water treatment side and and what would you throw off your extremely bullish position or what might make make you think twice about it they have to they have to make the the capex investments um on time and on budget and they have to set the framework and the timeline for the street. So the street has some visibility and can kind of monitor this. And so if they had any major hiccups in terms of doing that, or there was like material cost overruns to do that, um, then that would be problematic because they have say like $70 million in cash, um, and the, the CapEx is like 95 million. They've already started spending some of that, but there is a little bit of a funding sh- uh, shortfall. Um, and so as you get closer to finalization, the closer you are to on time and on budget, the better it is that we don't have to, to, to raise capital. Now, I think that they could raise debt and perhaps they could do something creative like an ESG type of bond because you're taking coal waste and you're converting it to a product that, that, that treats PFAS. We're taught so like what's more ESG than that? Like you're, you're taking a, 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 a product that was completely waste and you're converting it to something that helps the environment. So I think that they can tap the debt market. That's the, the debt if they needed to. That's the bet that I'm making. The, the bear case is uh, they're going to have to dilute the equity to, to, to get across the finish line. And therefore, there's no reason to get involved until there's more visibility there. Uh, but when I take a step back, I say, well, say, wait a second. Like you have Red River, you have Corbin, which is they bought ARC, which has all these patents. And they have by 30 year bituminous coal supply. So it's vertically integrated. It should be low cost. And you're spending 95 million in upgrades. Like you're telling me, you can't raise another 20 million of debt given all that, all those 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 assets. Um, but we already know that um, the greener activated markets probably undersupplies without PFAS. Um, so there are tailwinds to that business as well. And at least in the U.S., it's really an oligopoly. So Calgon's the dominant player, and but ADS will be a material player. Um, so I just love the risk reward here, and it's certainly kind of frontier market. It's highly imaginative, and there are probably a lot of buy siders that would like to get involved, but because of lack of liquidity or because it's um, it's a little bit of an R and D project, they're they're kind of on the sidelines. Um, and so I don't have I don't have those mandates that I have to worry about, um, like they might. But if they pull this off, the stock's not going to be two bucks. The question is, is it going to be ten? Right? I'm not. It's not going to stop at five. It's going to go to ten. And now we're talking. You know, this is like a two-year view here. Um, but just to as like a quick segue, just 
talking about thinking far-sightedly and becoming an, being an investor and like really embracing that mindset it's hard to do because uh you have this robin hood gamification but when i launched um back in may of 2020 i had my fab five portfolio my number three pick uh is it was ticker amr alpha uh metallurgical coal and um <laughs> Needless to say, and I, I I botched this. I had a great thesis, and I talked to management, and I was on the calls. And because uh, of the nature of the capital that I had, um, I, I couldn't hold the position uh, without getting into too many details. But to make a long story short, that stock has gone from um, five dollars to two hundred fifty dollars, plus it paid a ten dollar dividend. So that's fifty times in three years um so i was there and i didn't take advantage of it and there are reasons for that and because of my capital and and look i wouldn't still be in it for 50x but it just goes to show you like and that's the most extreme example that um there are no there's no place like small caps in terms of returns but you really have to embrace that investment mindset um and it, it's hard to do it's hard to do when you play as concentrated as i do um right when you say you have five 15 percent size positions when you get a 15 you get a 50 percent drawdown in two of your names it's it's not easy um so anyway just but there have been so many multi-baggers that i've and i've, I've had Funny things that crashed and burned, right? They got the thesis completely wrong and it didn't work. Um, so I don't want to just simply cherry pick, but just the way the game works is because of the slugging percentage. I think we talked about this last time. Another example is this company, Dectronics, D-A-K-T. Uh, I wrote this up to privately. I never got to pub publish it publicly at like 2.35 in December. And they had some balance sheet issues because of supply chain and they did they had to get um covenant relief from their bank but the balance sheet was fine if you go to like times square the big billboards you go to these sports stadiums like they had a very good position this was a profitable business and there was a lag between when they were gonna realize the the price increases to, to pass through the higher costs and so the stock crashed from like five to like i don't know dollar 25 and we got involved at like 235 Lo and behold, an activist gets involved. They got the bank debt, uh, which was not even a problem. It's not even that leverage resolved. Uh, the price kicks came in. The business got better. Supply chain costs got got improved, and the stock goes from two fifty to ten, so four x in less than a year. And it's only in small. I mean, notwithstanding like Nvidia, which had an incredible run off the lows, but um, and Facebook and whatnot. I mean, I don't play in those names, but it, there's there's no there's no place like small caps if you want to put up big percentage returns. But you have to space out the bets, and you you just need to get one or two, hopefully two, right. And it's amazing the power compounding of of a, a multi bagger. How do you get started with your small cap stocks? Is it does it start from kind of a big picture perspective? Do you have the stock in mind? Are you just paying attention to the stories? And so you kind of see the stocks jump out at you? What's your what's your process like? 
it's it's bottoms up. I just I read a lot of news and I like to see um, inflection points. So if if something moves significantly, um, I want to understand why because that means the market was wrong. So either positively, I don't short, but either if it, on the on the if there's a dramatic move up or down, that's because the market was wrong. So cons the consensus view was wrong. And so um, uh, when you get these inflection points, they the, the forces that, that created these conditions take time to gather. Like think about a storm and you have the right set of circumstances for it to become a hurricane or a big event. And um, so when you get these dramatic departures, both good and bad from consensus, um, it can be like a trend. And so I read a lot of news um, and there's no set framework or checklist or quantitative, um, uh, quantitative screen. It's more like a like a TJX, a treasure trove. Like, what are you gonna find? That's the adventure. Like, what are, what am I gonna learn today? And but that said, you do have to be discerning because not everything that glitters is gold. And you can go off in some misadventures and waste a bunch of time and chew up capital. Um, but that's what makes it fun: is those Don Quixote, those quixotic misadventures um because <laughs> uh, otherwise it just wouldn't be that fun is it is it basic discipline and kind of the things that you were mentioning at the at the onset of this interview in terms of staying disciplined and in, in terms of your emotional investing um or, or is there anything else that you would point to in terms of not getting lost in the sauce there um i i probably could be more disciplined um we all could be yeah, I mean, I wish I, I'm not. <laughs> I again, the top names are like fifty to seventy-five percent of the book because, like, I try not to go more than fifteen percent on a name. But I'm not afraid to have five fifteen percent bets. And so, with the other twenty-five percent or fifty percent, I'm doing a lot of tinkering, which arguably you could say is a complete waste of time um, because that sucks up bandwidth and um you maybe could have been learning more about your core thesis and again been doing more work but then again like we're talking about steve jobs there's something to be said about being lost in the wilderness and um uh you probably grow more as a person and as an artist um because this is to me it's art yeah i love it's that you call it that i turns. love that you call it that yeah so this is the canvas and um it's a game right if you if you, you you listen to like some of these billionaires like it's not they've have 10 generations of wealth it's not the money it's just the game that they love uh that they picked and and for whatever reason that this that particular skill set um happens to reward them um in terms of capital um as opposed to uh, like a different form of recognition. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of the game that I happen to love. And 
So <laughs> the game chose you. You don't necessarily choose the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, why don't you short stocks? Do you want to articulate that a bit? I, I just I'm an optimist. So, and I've I've, I've trained myself to be that way because uh, I used to be really skeptical and critical but i learned um from my great late mentor i, I don't know if i mentioned him before rodney thomas yeah rodney yeah thomas. that it's just better to be optimistic like it's just a better way to go through life and uh you just you don't want to like oh i hope this company crashes i hope these people lose their jobs like i hope the product fails like it's just not a good it's not a good way to be um and I get why it exists and I get why it prevents markets from getting bubbly and you, you want to have a two-sided market for liquidity and, and all that stuff. But it just seems like invariably the shorts play dirty uh, oftentimes. Not not everyone, not not the Jimmy Chanoses of the world, but they just, they want it to happen now when they, when you short a stock that has bad fundamentals, like it can go down really, really quickly and you're, you're trying to get the stock to capitulate. Uh, and so you, to really like magnify the returns. And I just, I just think it's kind of like dirty. Um, in my view, people could debate that, but uh, I just, I just don't like who wants to wake up in the morning and say, Oh, what company's going to crash? What company's going to fail? Like, it's just, I don't not, not, not for me. It's just not the way I'm wired. This is the sensitive, the sensitive art of investing. I, I like it. It doesn't all have to be one way. It can be many, many different things. Um, you want to share with investors any other stocks that you're thinking about or points of interest or points of light or ways to be thinking about small caps these days? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to talk uh, two more names. Um, so Red Robin, which I, I've, I've uh, written on, and that's a top five position for me um i'm in it like well i've been adding recently but i was long in like the 13s and it, it's gone from like 12 to almost 16 and now it's in the eights <laughs> uh i did speak with uh gj hart the ceo a couple weeks ago and i spoke with todd wilson the cfo um had a really good talk with those guys. Um, they really know the business. They're really trying to turn around the brand. They're, they're, they're playing the long game. Uh, we got really specific in terms of like the menu and the different quartiles and the stores and um, how they, they brought like the, all the enhancements they made to the menu and the philosophy of, hire more people and the open grills and um but it's completely <laughs> like it because yeah, I'm, I'm sized up in this thing and it's um sam long at like 12 now it's like in the eights uh but i don't understand why notwithstanding the macro i am talking with todd tomorrow uh just to catch up because he spoke at a couple conferences i it seemed like a co comment he made it was out of context, but I wanted to just hop on the phone with him. What but I had was a the really comment? Good time. Just out of curiosity. It's just, a, I guess, September, the restaurant industry, the traffic's down in September, um, which you have hurricanes and 
you have gas prices and student loans resetting, right? The moratorium's been lifted. And it could have been any uh, confluence of events, but like this, the stocks got cut in half from the July highs. And I don't think anything's really changed with the business. And my thesis is this company's they they guide it to 1.3 billion in revenue. The the midpoint of the EBITDA 77.5 million. Uh, so the enterprise value is like sub 300 million. So it trades cheap. There isn't a lot of free cash flow generation because they're investing it back in the business and the interest rates are high, but they've done sales lease backs where they've paid down that 12% debt. And then they've actually bought back a little bit of stock. Um, so I, I don't really know why it's gotten cut in half, notwithstanding just the negative sentiment towards small caps and maybe there's some big macro long short book and, and that happens to be in that basket. Um, but I'm sticking with it. I've been adding here and um, I'm going to see this one through unless the thesis is dramatical, is a dramatic departure in the thesis. But if you take a step back and a company that has 1.3 billion in revenue, um, an extra 200 beeps in, in EBITDA margins, that's 26 million bucks. And so it's not, it's not what they're doing is they they moved away from discounting and they've upped the, the product quality. They've, they've upped the service because they've, they've fully staffed and it's really just a, this is a margin story more than a sales story. So, I don't really care what the comps are. I, mean, I don't want to be like double digits negative, but if they're down 5% and the margins are better and, you, and you're, you're doing the right thing for the brand and the business, that's fine. And so I'm happy to, to, um, to uh, weather that drawdown again, par for the course. And then tying back to the stay hungry, stay foolish. I have one, one other stock. Um, uh, it's called yield 10 bioscience. Ticker is Y10, um, and so this this is absolutely fascinating. But let me be crystal clear: this is this could go to zero. Okay, so this is a hundred percent binary, um, and I'll explain the thesis. But I don't want to. I want to be crystal clear: like if they run out of capital by December first, this is a zero. Um, so. Anyway, just mentioning that, but um, what they do is these are MIT scientists and they developed this seed, um, Camelina, and it's it's uh, oily, it's a cover crop, so you plant it after the harvest in the fall and then in the winter, so it's a cover crop, so it, it prevents erosion and uh, the fertilizer runoff, so it's good for farmers, and then you harvest it in the spring. And so there's a this 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 hockey stick growth for SAF, sustainable aviation fuel, and renewable diesel. And so a lot of the big refiners are converting um, some of their refineries because they know the to, to meet the Paris Accord and the, and the mandates, they need to get on board with this. But you physically can't divert the soybean and corn supply to just to just make biofuels. And so what what these guys have done is they've spent years developing this seed that's um, weed resistant that can 
be called double stack so it can be planted after, on the this different herbicides you need um, on the on the soil and they've they thought out the whole value chain so they have the relationships with the farmers a lot of times in uh, Canada western Canada and they have a seed that they've developed that you can grow at scale but they have a um they signed a non-binding letter of intent with Marathon Petroleum, a $60 billion market cap refining company. And so Marathon put up a million dollars in a convert and they had 120 days to negotiate a deal. And that, that exclusivity ended on August 25th. And so I don't know what happened, nor could they, I have spoken with um, Oliver Peoples twice he obviously couldn't comment specifically about private negotiations, but because the deal hadn't got finalized, they were, they were trying to negotiate a, an investment than an offtake agreement. Um, so they had to do a secondary, and this, this would be fascinating to readers that are people really in the weeds. So on August 2nd, they filed the S1 to, to, to raise capital, but it was a best efforts deal. And in a best efforts deal, there's some nuances here. So I want to just keep it, I don't want to be super specific, but essentially there's like a provision that uh, when they market the S1 in a best efforts deal, people that do take up on the deal can be short the stock. So in a bot deal, you announce a deal, you probably price under market, you full up the book, it gets priced and it gets, it's done. This thing was out dangling for a couple of days. So they were out trying to market to fill up the book. And you had a lot of structured guys that came in. And so the stock went from 220 to a dollar by the time the thing was done. And then they priced the deal at 65 cents. It came with five-year warrants at 65 cents. And so the talking about signal and the noise, the, the stock got decimated because of the dilution, but they had to raise the capital because the exclusivity ended and they are talking to other big oil companies um, and there's omega-3 angle as well. So here we have a, you know, I'm in, in like the 60 cents on this one uh, because I, I had a small position, like a foothold and, and I did, I did elect to buy more, but um, if they don't get a deal, this thing's vapor <laughs> in a couple months, but I'm looking at a company that's, arguably it developed this incredibly innovative seed to, to spawn a new industry uh, in terms of Camelina that arguably is empirically going to be one of the sources of, of biofuels because you can't just have soybean and corn oil. There's an omega-3 aspect. The market cap right now is like 5 million bucks, um, notwithstanding the warrants. But at the end of the day, if Oliver doesn't get a deal, and they also they're talking to Mitsubishi, the big refiner in uh, Japan, they're, they're the big uh, conglomerate in Japan, and so it's a binary bet. And um, I just think the upside is so big. But make no mistake, if they don't get a deal because they can't get to terms, um, it's going to be a donut. <laughs> so that's staying hungry and staying foolish yeah. um. <laughs> binary indeed how how, yes. how low do you let it go before you start kind of uh you know rethinking things well that that's kind of my whole point it's it i don't you can't the the price the the signaling mechanisms 
have been disengaged um, because of the structured guys. So they shorted the hell out of this thing, knocked it down, and then they arguably bought the deal. They could, there's technical ways to do it, right? So it's supposed to be with different pools of capital, but they have the warrants at 65 cents. So they could have shorted the deal and they don't have to, they're, they're playing for zero. And then if the thing goes bananas, cause they get a deal that they, they can cover at 65 cents. So they could have aggressively shorted at 45 cents because arguably these guys ruined the company. But when the fed funds is five and a half percent and you can't raise equity capital, um, into, unless you get a deal, then they have you over barrel. And the the science is arguably unbelievable. The the, the value chains are well thought out. The burn rate's only a million dollars a month at this company. This isn't like a biotech burn five, ten million dollars a month. So uh, so I've really thought this through. But at the end of the day, it's first and ten on the on the R ten yard line with two minutes to go, and I need Oliver to be Tom Brady. <laughs> Can you? This is this is the two minute zone, baby. You got to do it. Right, more <laughs> small li- cap artistry. Yeah, you got to. It's, it's. Are you Tom Brady? Right. We'll find out. <laughs> if if not, it's going to be another expensive zero. <laughs> Add it to my collection. Well, courage and conviction investing. This has been another uh, great conversation. I think a lot of um, thoughtful ideas and and thoughtful strategies to keep in mind for investors. Uh, you run Second Wind Capital for those looking for more insight, ideas, more engagement, more direct access. And for your free articles, check out Courage and Conviction Investing. I'll leave, with, I'll leave you with the last word, final thoughts, final sentiments for our audience. Again, thanks, Rena, for ha- having me. Um, Stuart Brand said it best, stay hungry, stay foolish. Don't be afraid of the drawdowns. Have conviction in your ideas. Space out the bets. And uh, it's pays to be an optimist in America. But again, I really appreciate, I I really appreciate the time and it was, it's always fun to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it too. And here's to the next one. Hope it's soon. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times myself or the guest, my own positions in the securities mentioned, but this is for entertainment purposes only. And you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.